Thank you, John. John's been on the organ over here the last two, three weeks. Appreciate him and his wife, Kylie's right beside him. Good to have these young couples with us. There are several young couples that have come to the city lately, and we greet you and glad to have you here in church. I uh, just saw a little brochure that said, the church has left the building. It's the first Orlando theme for missions. The church has left the building. Well, the church has left the building, and the church has brought folks into the building. Everything for the glory of God and for the sake of the gospel. Today, I'm in Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. I'm not going to read it all, just eight verses, starting with verse 81, Psalm 119, verse 8. It sure is good to be back. We worshiped in an African church Sunday. It was very interesting. The pastor wore a full-length robe, gold and black. It was an African church, and uh, everybody was arrayed in the brightest colors. They sang with all their hearts. It was amazing, the singing that went on in that little room. They meet in a school and do not have their own building, but they are a marvelous congregation So we are feasting from God's Word in the book of Psalms, actually book five of the Psalter this summer, and this uh, is the second message from Psalm 119. Verse 81 says, my soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I have put my hope in your Word. My eyes fail looking for your promise. I say, when will you comfort me? Though I am like a wineskin in the smoke, I do not forget your decrees. How long must your servant wait? When will you punish my persecutors? The arrogant dig pitfalls for me, contrary to your law. All your commands are trustworthy. Help me, for men persecute me without cause. They almost wipe me from the earth. But I have not forsaken your precepts. Preserve my life according to your love, and I will obey the statutes of your mouth. I jump back, startled walking through the slums of Nima, Accra, because suddenly I was hot on this side of my body. All the street vendors lined the streets, one after the other, thousands of them, and many of them have coals burning in their little shop. And I didn't realize there was a fire. But over and over again, I saw the same thing, barrels sitting by the side of the road, smoking. People sitting in little corners with fires going, cooking meals, preparing food for visitors and guests and passers-by, selling whatever they can to people along the way. The third world, in fact, is full of smoke. When I laid my head down in Africa, I could smell it in the air, just like I could in Nicaragua when we were there. It seems like the world is on fire. When I was in Peru, 
a little man brought a pot to me. Said he found it in an Inca graveyard. That's where I met him in this Inca graveyard, 10,000 feet above sea level. He said, I found it stirring around with a stick. He wanted to sell it to me, so I bought it from him for a couple dollars. I still have the little pot. But what startled me about it was how it smelled like smoke. Often in the third world, among the poor, they don't have chimneys. And so they start a fire in the corner. And the smoke just goes up into the house and curls along the ceiling, just seeking a way out. Sometimes it goes out through the door. So the house is full of smoke in that upper part, and it just creeps out the door finally. All the Quechua people wear these alpaca clothing and wool clothing, and they all smell like smoke. The Bedouins had the same problem. These nomadic people in the Middle East, as they went from place to place, they'd throw up their dwellings made out of skins, no chimneys in them. They'd start a fire. They'd hang their wineskins sometimes in the corner of the house. And if you leave the wineskin up there hanging in the corner of the house, the smoke is going to dry it out. Gradually it will crack and eventually be ruined. But it takes time. And the man that writes these verses said, I feel like a wineskin in the smoke. I feel parched and dried out. A lot of the world feels that way. He's just being honest with God. Like everyone in the room here needs to be when you pray. Are you honest with God? Have you told him honestly how you feel? We know he's talking to God in this passage. He talks about your salvation and your promises He's talking to God, this man who feels like a wineskin in the smoke. And he's telling God exactly how he feels. My soul faints. You see that in verse 81? Inside, he feels like he's about to collapse. That's where he is. My eyes fail. That's verse 82. I feel like a wineskin in the smoke. How long am I going to have to wait? That's how he feels. He's expressing his feelings to God. Sometimes we get the impression that our feelings are not important to God, but they are. The prophets express their feelings to God. The psalmist expresses his feelings to God. Your feelings are important to him. They affect your relationship with him, how you feel. They affect your relationships with everybody else, too. Your feelings do. Sometimes we need to tell God how we feel. It's okay to do so. In fact, it's good to be honest with God and just tell Him how you feel. How are you feeling? Have you told Him? Does He know? That your soul is fainting, that your eyes are failing, that you're drying up inside. Does God know? Has He heard it from you? Have you put it into words? What's going on inside of you? Part of what's happened 
to this writer of these verses is he has been in a long wait. How many of you like to wait? Don't you just love to wait? I tell you, you're looking at a preacher just love to sit in the waiting room and just sit there and wait. Just, it's so good to wait, isn't it? Just drives me nuts. Are you like that? We're not a people that really like to wait. We don't like to wait. Everybody in the room is waiting on something, aren't you? You're waiting on the call. You're waiting on that person. You're waiting on that opportunity. You're waiting on that moment. You're waiting for that child, that prodigal, to turn around. You've been praying about it for years. How long have you waited? Everybody in the room is waiting. Now, I'm going to tell you something that's hard to do. And I'm preaching to myself as I do it. We spend enough time waiting in this life that we need to embrace the wait. Waiting doesn't have to tire you out. The poem, If Says, it was J.D. Gray's favorite poem. Some of you know that. My predecessor, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting, is there any way in the world that you can embrace the wait that you're in? Waiting for that new job, waiting to get out of school, waiting for retirement to come around. We spend a lifetime waiting. We need to embrace the wait because it's a big part of life, waiting on things. The psalmist says, how long am I going to have to wait? It feels like I'm about to faint. I've been waiting so long. How long must your servant wait? I'm getting old waiting. The days are going by. The weeks are going by. The months are going by. Now I need glasses and correction for my hearing, and I'm still waiting for some of the things I've been praying for for years. Lord, my eyes are failing. When are you going to answer me? When is the comfort going to come? We wait a long time. If we can embrace the wait as God's time to work in our heart, to teach us to trust him, to live in his hope. He can change the waiting into powerful and productive time for us. Hey, we've been waiting for the city to get cleaned up, right? Been five years. We're still waiting for lots of things. It's okay. We waited 90 days for him to put a cap on that well out in the Gulf, didn't we? They finally got the cap on the goal. That's good. We waited 90 days. We wish they'd have got it earlier. I'm so glad they got that cap. I was watching CNN while I was in Accra. Anytime I came across, just see if they finally stopped oil. And apparently, we hope, we hope, we hope they got it done. 
You say, you know, it's so unusual down here in New Orleans to always be waiting. We have such long and difficult waits down here. Sort of like the, the children of Israel. They waited 400 years for God to bring them out of Egypt. Have you reflected on that for a moment? 400 years, people came and, and left. They were born and they died generation after generation waiting on the promise of God to be fulfilled. A large part of the history of Israel is waiting. It was true in the exile. It took 70 years for some of them to return back to the land of promise from Babylon. Waiting's part of life. And somehow, like the psalmist, we have to live in hope instead of anxiety and not so much be tired as be productive and effective in the time of waiting. I don't know when or how your wait will end, my friend. Waiting on that new job, waiting on that lady to come into your life. I don't know when or how your wait will end. But I know between now and then, you need to walk in faith and hope, trusting in God's word and trusting in his promise. Waiting is so important for you spiritually. It may be the most important thing you're doing right now. Waiting does not have to be inactive. It's not you sitting around twirling your thumbs. How long do I have to wait, oh Lord? Well, I hope he's not just sit there just burning time. He's going about his life. He's waiting on God's promise, but he's continuing to do all the things God's called him to do. Some of you are waiting on your ministry. You're waiting for God to get you that church, that position. You've got something out there you expect God to deliver, but he hasn't delivered yet. What are you doing in the meantime? I hope you're not just sitting on the sidelines twiddling your thumbs, seminary student. I hope that's not you. I hope that you're making productive use of the weight. Sometimes we get stretched real thin. And it seems to us like the circumstances of life are just tormenting us, drying us out, and slowly killing us. That wineskin in the smoke imagery, just the picture of it, that a human being would see his life that way, drying out bit by bit, agonizing moment by agonizing moment. And yet God intends for folks who are in the furnace to trust him. And if you feel like you're in the furnace... God's saying to you, that's where I refine my gold. God does some of his finest work in the greatest difficulties of your life. And the greatest difficulties are the opportunities for you to trust him. And sometimes he can get things done in the wait, in the long and difficult wait, 
that he can't get done in your life any other way. So embrace the weight. Don't be tired by it. And put your hope in the word of God. I have put my hope in your word. Verse 81 says, You are waiting. It's difficult. It's painful. Yet you do not give up. You hold fast to the promise. Every human needs hope. I think about Mustafa. I have a picture of a single African man there in the list. Mustafa is a lifelong Muslim who only a few years ago came to Christ. And when he came to Christ, his wife's family came and got her and took her away. He waited nine months to get her back. And month by month and year by year, Mustafa has proved to be a faithful son-in-law, a good part of the family. This very week, in the occasion of his wife's stepfather's death, he is up in Niger providing refreshments at the funeral ceremonies. He has been invited into this Muslim world to be part of this very important gathering and ceremony and to help with the things that are done. And little by little, he is achieving his goal of expressing the love of Christ to his universally Muslim family. He hasn't given up hope. If you talk to Mustafa, you see that smile on his face? It's 24-7. I don't know how the man does it. He has a continual good attitude. He just has great hope in the Lord. I think about the Onion Boys who are in this next picture. That's just three of them. There's dozens more. They leave Niger at 10 or 11, make the journey all the way down to Accra, where they join a group led by a 26-year-old man who buys a trailer load of onions and distributes it to them. And then they take those onions and they sit by the side of the road and they pick up the little bags and they walk through the streams of traffic and if a car stops they run to that car and they drop off the onions they wore the same clothes every day we saw them I said Kareem if I give you this book will you have any bag to put it in he said no I said, where do you put your things? He said, where I sleep? I didn't put a picture of the blockhouse in here where some of them sleep. But it is a dirt floor in a ruined building that they have claimed as their own 
in downtown Accra. And there are dozens of little children and adults who sleep in that room. And so the onion boys get up day after day and they go and sell the onions and they send the money back to Niger. What hope do they have? What's their hope? I remember the experience of visiting with a 12-year-old girl in the slums in Mexico years ago. And the tape replayed in my head again. As we left that conversation and she turned around and she walked down that road back into conditions that you cannot imagine where she lived. Where's her hope? How do people survive without hope? God has called us as his church to carry the hope of the nations to the world in which we live. We have sung about the nations today. And what the nations need is hope. They need an expectation of the future. An opportunity to see things better than they are now. And every one of those little onion boys has his own little dream. He dreams of getting back into school. How can it ever happen? He dreams of learning to write English or learning to read it. And the church of Jesus Christ has been sent to the nations. Go and make disciples of all ethnos, of all nations. And the Songhai are an ethnos. They're an identifiable people group on the continent of Africa who 400 years ago were the dominant people in Western Africa. And their empire was larger than many that you read about. For 200 years they ruled that part of the world and now they are down to three and a half million people who are struggling to survive day after day and dying in starvation in Niger and other places. And the Songhai are the people we went to see. And they were startled that we were there for them. They said, you came for us. Why are you here? We're here to meet you. I told the Onion Boys, I want you to teach me to speak Zarma. Wow. And so we go through speaking Zarma. And I wish I could tell you some Zarma. The only Zarma I can remember right now is Montegum. And when I said Montegum to two little girls in the timber market in Accra, they both just dissolved into giggles. I don't think they'd ever heard a white man say a single word in the Zarma language until they heard me say Montegum. And that's about all I knew. And I feel this longing in my heart to carry to these people who have no church, no pastor. We know of one Christian among the Songhai in Accra. Can you imagine that? One Christian. I sat down with the chief's brother in the little area of Nima. I said, how many Songhai are here in Accra? 10,000? 20,000? He said, oh, much more. 
50,000, he said, 50,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left, who don't, do not know anything about the Bible or the church, or maybe have heard the name of Jesus but have no understanding. Where is their hope? Their hope is in the word. The psalmist said, hear my soul faints, but I will hope in your word to carry the word of God and the love of Christ to the nations that need him. That is the commission he has left to his church, to you and to me. And it is a wonderful privilege to do so. I look into the eyes of Abraham, Wahabu, and I know they have one hope for heaven and a future. And that is finding Christ as Savior and Lord. And we can deliver the message of hope to them as his church. And we are called to do it. Sometimes when you think about hope for the millions of people who live in such poverty, it gets so overwhelming you just want to dismiss it from your mind. And say, oh, I just can't deal with that. You know, that's just too much. My system is already on overload. I tell you, it puts your system on overload to go into the slums of Accra. To see the open sewers passing through. I've been in a lot of places in the world, never in any place so unsanitary. I'm afraid I might have malaria, to tell you the honest truth. There is a little video about this that Anna put on her blog. I refused to take the medicine. They said, uh, you need to take malaria medicine. Well, I've talked to missionaries in Central America. They never take malaria medicine. I've been to Central America, South America. I never got sick, so I went to Africa. I said to the missionary, I didn't take the medicine. He said to me, who would ever come to Africa and not take malaria medicine? Yikes. I guess me. Silly you. Then I got bit one night. And so it became a major thing. But I am feeling fine, so I, I hope I'm not sick. God has taught me the last 10 days that there are hope for the nations, that we cannot be overwhelmed by the poverty, that we must do what we can, and that what we do, he will reward, and that he has called us to be active in our world and the people who are busy doing it, who are proclaiming the good news and and. Sending out the message of hope. They are the people who have the greatest hope in their heart. And the people who lose hope are the folks who write them all off. And turn, turn their back on the world that needs him. We don't want to be among those who just decide we're going to live our life without reference to the poor. Or those without hope. We're going to live our lives seeking to bring hope to a world that needs him. So do you live in hope? Does the hope of Christ well up in your heart? Do you have an expectation of the future that is filled with the promise of God? Are you looking forward to tomorrow and what God's going to do in you? Or have your fears so frightened you that you cannot enjoy today? Have your sins so beaten you down that the guilt overrides everything? Have the conflicts and the troubles 
and the wars that you're fighting worn you out. Hope takes a beating from fear and sin and conflict. But God wants to reignite the hope in your heart in this day of worship. Hope begins knowing Jesus is Savior. He is the hope of the world. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God that we were introduced to Jesus. Amen? Amen. That we trusted Jesus one day. That we had people that taught us about Jesus. That we got the Bible in our language and we learned. Thank God we have hope in Christ. If you do not have hope in Christ, this would be a great day to pray, to ask Christ into your life and put your life in his hands. Confess your sin unto him. Let him forgive you. Don't live in the guilt and the fear anymore. Trust him as Savior and Lord. Let's bow together. If you've never trusted Christ, you could whisper that prayer right where you are. Just saying, dear Lord, I, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me for my sin. Come into my life. I want you in my heart. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. If you're a Christian and you've grown tired by waiting and you feel so frustrated, maybe life has ended up being such a disappointment, would you pray for a new vision from God, for a new hope in Him, for the renewal of the promise in your own life, that frustration and despair would be replaced by a new expectation of the work of God in you. Oh God, don't let us be tired by waiting. Don't let the wait wear us out. Lord, give us strength in the day-by-day -day task of living for you and doing your work and being your people. God, by your Holy Spirit, energize your people. Fill us with your love. God, give us new hope and and new expectation of what you're going to do in us. I pray for that person who has trusted you years ago, but today just feels like a wineskin in the smoke. All dried out. God, I pray that you will renew their strength. Lord, just said in your word, if we'd wait on you, you would renew our strength. So Lord, renew, renew your people your sons and your daughters and your children today. Let hope spring anew in our hearts. God, send the Holy Spirit to comfort and inspire us. Lord, send your, your strength to those who are weary. God, we pray that today would be a time of renewal, a new day for we who are your people. God, that you will give us strength not only for our own personal struggles, but you would give us strength for the task of carrying the gospel to those who need you at home and abroad. So, Lord, we commit our ways unto you and thank you in Jesus' name.